And uh, as you do, just want to say for those of you who are uh, newer, with the, newer with us, we're super excited to have you here today. And we hope that uh, we can be a partner in your journey as you uh, seek to know more about uh, Jesus and his church and a few ways that we can even help kind of start that conversation. Uh, if you don't have to rush off after the service, we have some start here tables in the lobby uh, where we'd love to get to meet you. Uh, you can also, if you're online or maybe this is easier for you, you can text the church phone number uh, to get that conversation going. Uh, and then actually next week, we have a real specific opportunity for you uh, who are newer in the life of the church called First Steps. Uh, just a chance to get to know you a little bit, uh, to get to know us a little bit. And again, be real intentional in how we can help you take your journey, your next step in, in what our understanding uh, is as a church, that we exist to become more devoted followers of Jesus as we grow and we serve together as a church. And so we'd uh, be honored to be a part of that journey with you. Uh, and just a few things that uh, that journey looks like for us. Uh, we've been in this, uh, this just journey as a church called Whatever It Takes. It's kind of like our mantra uh, with this understanding that we have a good God who did whatever it takes to get to us by sending his one and only son, Jesus, so that we could have the gift of a new life both here and forever. And so we understand our role as a church is to, you could say, quote, do whatever it takes to further that message. Uh, and so as part of some of the initiatives that we're a part of around here, uh, some of you were here in December when our former youth pastor, Josh Koskinen, uh, preached and really challenged us uh, on inviting uh, others into a journey of faith, inviting them to church, uh, kind of going into our Christmas services. Well, if you recall, Josh is uh, planning a new church called Story Hill Church uh, up in his hometown near in the uh, Milwaukee area. And uh, my family and a few other friends from the church, we had the privilege of going up last weekend for their launch weekend, uh, where through Josh's invitations and some of his team, they had more than 700 people on their very first Sunday. Uh, it was crazy, yeah. They had to add a 7.30 a.m. service. So man, you guys can be thankful we don't have to get up that early around here. Uh, but out of those folks, uh, 10 people uh, placed their faith in Jesus for the first time. So just super cool what the Lord's doing in there. And then for us back home, while we were up in Wisconsin, uh, I got word that we had had record attendance, uh, both online and in person, on a non-holiday weekend here, uh, probably with just this understanding that what we're talking about, uh, this idea of mental health and where God intersects with that, we've, we've struck a nerve, and it's something that um, we know we need to hear more about. And so uh, as we consider what it means for us to be the church and to be the church in one another's lives, we're gonna be uh, looking at that in God's word in Acts chapter 16 today. So I invite you to turn in a Bible there. It'll be a little bit till we get to Acts chapter 16. But it is uh, a book of the Bible that really is an anchor point uh, for us because of the way that it talks about the early beginnings of the church as well as the early spread of the church as what it looks like for us to be the church in one another's lives and in the world around us. Um, as today, we again, as kind of mentioned here a little bit, we've been in a series uh, focusing on the subject of mental health called Weeds in My Garden, uh, with this idea that the garden serves as a helpful metaphor uh, for what we want, a flourishing uh, kind of mental health life, but that we recognize that each and every one of us, it's not perfect, and we have weeds of different kinds, shapes, sizes, and quantities, uh, each in our individual lives uh, that, that can take root from time to time. And we didn't come up with that, that title per se, but it actually uh, came out of a, a song uh, by a young songwriter, uh, a young lady who was expressing her own challenges in her life uh, in some ways I think only songs can. Uh, she writes it this way. 
I tell you that I'm whole, but I'm still healing. I tell you that I'm happy, but I'm grieving. I thought I was a fighter, I'm still in the fire. But if I'm honest, I'm not being honest. I'll give you roses just hoping you don't see the weeds in my garden. If I'm being honest, I'm at my darkest. And I'm sitting here waiting and praying for someone to show me what love is. I'm just being honest. And so this series is about, in some ways, if we're honest, that we in the church haven't always been honest about these kinds of things uh, in our lives, particularly within the church. Uh, and when it comes to, you know, weeds that, that we face, um, weeds like uh, topics that we've looked at already, like uh, depression, or that we'll head uh, into in the days ahead, like worry and anxiety, stress and burnout, or even today's topic, self-harm, suicide, and suicidal thoughts. And again, each of us know that we have weeds, but we also need to know, just as important, maybe even more importantly, that in the presence of those weeds, we have a good, good father. And our good father, he is a good, good gardener. Jesus actually himself says in John 15, he says, uh, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and the good news about being connected to me as the vine is my father, he is the gardener, that he is the caretaker. And so we all have weeds in our garden, but our God is a good gardener, and if we have a good gardener, then we're not done, because God's not done. And so as we take on today's topic, uh, you might be quick to conclude, you know, I, I've never even thought about, or, or let alone been, suicidal. But many people who died by suicide at one point in time were not thinking about it either. Or some of you here, maybe, maybe even if you've thought about it, you'd say, I know I would never do that. It would never happen to me. But I want you to know that at one point in time, they knew they'd never do that either, that it would never happen to them. And so just to give us a bit of a grip on just the significance of this issue in our time, um, you should know that suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people ages 10 to 34. And that 18% of high school students, they reported seriously considering suicide in the past year. And 25% of adults ages 18 to 24 report having seriously considered suicide in the past month. Last year, 2023, more people died by suicide than in any other year in recorded history. And just to kind of even give us another kind of layer of perspective, uh, maybe if you in your life, if you've ever maybe hopped on Zillow to maybe check out buying a new home in a new area, whether somewhere or maybe even here, uh, and you look at kind of the information on the area, you know, cost of living, crime rate, murder rate. Well, last year, there were 21,000 homicides in America and more than 50,000 suicides which means that in America, you are two and a half times more likely to die by suicide than by homicide. And just to bring this uh, even closer to home from our congregation, 
survey just two weeks ago uh, when we started this series, 23%. 23%, nearly one in four in our church circled yes to, quote, ever having thought about or attempted suicide. And so even as we acknowledge these statistics, um, we ask in our context, you know, what, what do the scriptures say about this? Like, does the Bible talk about suicide? Well, in the Bible, we do see instances of suicide, most often in the context of war and battle uh, in order to avoid capture or the humiliation of being killed by an enemy. And to the question that I know, not all but many of you have come across over the years, uh, is around this, this idea of is suicide an unforgivable sin? Like, like, does the Bible say that? Does the Bible say that suicide is an unforgivable sin? Well, the answer is no. No, there is nothing in the Bible that states or really suggests that this is the case. To which you might then naturally wonder, well, then where would, where would this idea come from? Where would this idea that suicide being an unforgivable sin, like what, what's the story on that? Well, there are actually several, you could say, circumstances uh, situationally throughout the history of the church and the world as well as theologically uh, that have led to that conclusion. <coughs> Excuse me. Circumstantially, um, the bubonic plague of the 14th century Europe, also known as the Black Death, was taking the lives of millions through that pandemic. And as a result, many who were infected um, were committing suicide at, at alarming rates. And so at a time when the church and the state were pretty deeply enmeshed, they released both civil and church kind of laws communicating that suicide was an unforgivable sin as a deterrent from suicide. And then theologically, not just circumstantially, uh, while there's much more that could be said about the categorization of different types of sin within different traditions of the church and within those various traditions throughout history have uh, concluded different things about those things, but simply put, it has at times been the conclusion that suicide does not allow one the opportunity to confess this specific sin prior to their death. However, the larger gospel-centered reality uh, is that in our lives, every single day, there are sins that you commit. Some you are aware of, some you are not. Some you confess specifically, some you confess generally. But with that, we are not saved by our last act here on earth. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter two, verse 13 and 14 reminds us that when we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ. It was his work that he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and he has nailed it to the cross. The book of Hebrews, uh, really pointing to the, you could say the old covenant, the Old Testament's uh, sacrificial system for sin being done away with under the new covenant, the new promise of the forgiveness of sin, of Jesus' sacrifice through it being nailed to the cross. It says this in Hebrews 10 that 
that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where there have, excuse me, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. In other words, we, we are not saved by our ability to achieve sinlessness, but we are saved by the sacrifice of our sinless Savior. And so it is not for me nor anyone else, but for God alone to judge the eternal state of someone's life at any point in their earthly life. Now, as I say this, there are those listening right now who are suffering deeply. And the fear of hell may seem like the only thing holding you back from suicide. And if you are hearing what I'm sharing from God's word in any way as permission to end your life, then I would say you are not hearing the voice of God on this. Psalm chapter 36 reminds us that, that God, he is the giver of life. And that quote, for with you, God, is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see and experience his light and life. And so we recognize that, as Pastor Rick reminded us last week, that in this world, we know we will have trouble. That even as a Christian, nowhere do the scriptures suggest or give any model of anyone in the scriptures that would suggest or hint uh, let alone guarantee that we would not experience trouble in this life. In fact, the words of Jesus, he actually reminds us that this is true. He says, I tell you this to give you peace, John 16, that in this world you will have trouble. Not could, not might, not maybe, but you will have trouble. But I give you peace in knowing that you can take heart that I have overcome the world. That I have overcome the world. So that means that Jesus is with you to face with you any temptation you face in this world, even the temptation to leave this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 reminds us that there is no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, meaning you're not the only one. The good news is you're not alone. In fact, the, the text and the email that I most received after our sermon a couple of weeks ago uh, when we had a survey in real time of experiencing what other people in our church are experiencing was this thought that I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one until in real time I saw with my brothers and sisters that I wasn't, that I'm not the only one. And so... We know that God is faithful, that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The old translation says so you can stand up under it. And while no single sermon could ever fully speak to the complexities of mental health and specifically the subject of suicide, may whatever your weeds are in your life. May this series be used by God's spirit to discern and play a part in providing a way for you to endure whatever it is, to stand up under whatever it is. 
And, and so as we talk about the topic of suicide, we, we recognize like this is not just a topic. Like this is not just a topic that even just weighs on us, it's a weight that weighs on all of us, that we are all affected and impacted. Uh, you, could, you could say at least in one of three potential ways. That you could say there's three groups that uh, you might think this doesn't apply to you, it does. This is something that every single one of us have a role in. And, and that first group that each and every one of us can be a part of is those who can help. The brothers and sisters who stand and sit among us, those of us who can be in a place to help. Those of you who maybe, again, not personally have struggled with this or lost someone close to you in this way, but you have had or will have or maybe currently have someone in your life who you love and you care about and you know, you know they're struggling. They might not say it with their words, but you hear it in their voice. You, you see it in their eyes. You, you, you sense it in the despair and the hopelessness that kind of overflows out of their disposition. And you wanna do something. You wanna, you wanna help, you're not sure what to do. You wanna say something, but you're not sure what to say. You wanna, you wanna step in, but you're not sure what that looks like. Well, in letters uh, written to the church in the rest of the New Testament after the book of Acts, it really describes what it looks like for the church to be the church when we're being the church that Jesus designed us to be as the church in one another's lives. And so we are challenged, we are encouraged uh, to be a people who, it says, cares for one another, comforts one another, will step in and encourage one another, that we recognize with some of this, there's a need to be patient with one another. As we, Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens, because this is how we, John 13, love one another. Because to have a, a courageous conversation with someone that you see or you sense may be in crisis is to lovingly share and help bear their burdens as you patiently listen and care for and comfort and encourage them. QPR is um, an acronym that I came across in some of my studies. It's, uh, it stands for Question, Persuade, Refer. Uh, and, and there's actually whole courses in QPR in the same way that you might for like CPR. Uh, but just a little bit of time here, I think we see that just those, those three words in and of themselves are instructive. First of all, we want to we want to ask questions, uh, which means that we don't have, have have to have all the answers. Uh, that rather than have all the answers, we just need to show up with listening ears and, and be able to ask. Ask the question, how are you doing really? And, and ask the question directly, are you having thoughts of suicide? Are are you thinking of ending your life? And don't feel like you have to feel the silence that follows. Just stay with them. Listen to them. And from there, persuade them uh, to allow you to work with them to seek and accept help. To see that they are not in a healthy place. That they may not even know how to or even believe that they want to get out of that place. And so stay with them. Stay with them as you refer. Refer to stay with them to either get help or to be with them until help arrives. So 
suicide rates, they have risen uh, more than 35% in this century. And so as a church, it's our responsibility to, to rise up, you could say, as representatives of the help and hope of Jesus as we allow him and his spirit beyond the strength that we have to work in us and through us for the benefit of others and for his kingdom to come, his will to be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want you to know that as part of that, as, as your church, this weekend in real time, we actually have on hand a licensed Christian counselor who is, who is here and in the building. Um, and so we want you to know that if you, or if you have a concern for someone you know may be at this point, you know, the, the saying better to be safe than to be sorry is one that certainly always applies in these cases. And so we would encourage you, if that is where you or someone you care about is at, you can just simply text the word LIFE uh, to our church phone number, 217-875-3350, um, and we'll be in touch right away. Or, or maybe, you're, maybe you're watching this at, at a later date, or uh, maybe for one reason or another, you just don't feel comfortable reaching out to the church directly, uh, then we would encourage you to take advantage of the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, uh, which is 988. It's available 24-7. You can text, you can call. It's available in Spanish and English uh, to be there anytime that you need it. Second group that has um, our attention here as a church are those of you who have lost someone to suicide. For you, there's not a hole in your heart. Your heart is not broken. Your heart is shattered. There are so many pieces and so many places that you can't even begin to identify them let alone even know how to possibly put them back together. The emotions, they, they come in waves, and the waves, they crash hard. It can come in, in a mannerism you see from a stranger in a grocery store, the smell of a deodorant or a cologne or a perfume that they used to wear. It, it shows up when they're favorite song comes on the radio. It can be when you walk down the hallway and you see their picture on the wall. Or, or during maybe a get-together at a holiday or even the changing of seasons when the season that they enjoyed the most begins. It, it shows up in guilt. It shows up in a, a long-awaited, finally good day that you can hardly enjoy because you feel guilty for even having one in the first place. And so again, while there's no sermon that should or even could say everything that needs to be said for you or on your behalf in this moment, that in all this my prayer has obviously been to make sure that God would help me to say the right things, but just as importantly, to not say the wrong thing. But may I humbly offer just a few words that may be a piece of God's redeeming work that he wants to do in you in the healing process. And that first, I want to acknowledge that your grief, it is complex in ways that are hard for others of us to understand. I heard one son regarding the death of his father by suicide in an effort to express just one of the many facets of that complexity state, if it was a murder, we'd rage against the murderer. But since it's a suicide, we rage against them and grieve them at
at the same time. And so there's both grief and trauma all mixed in to one. And so we want you to know as your church, if you've been affected by the loss of someone who died by suicide, then we want you to know that you are in the midst of a church community who that will not attach and does not want to attach any kind of stigma to you, but wants to attach themselves to you in your process of discovering healing and help and the hope of Jesus, even in the midst. In fact, a real specific ministry uh, that's a part of life of the church is something called Grief Share. Um, It's a group um, uh, for healing in this way. It's a a group just wrapped up, and there'll be another one starting here uh, early spring, so you can reach out to us, and we can help get you connected uh, to that. Again, that's a loss of, of any kind. Uh, this one included. And of course, third group that we cannot help but make sure we give attention to today are those of you who are in real time hurting right now. Those who are hurting, who are experiencing, who are inundated with depression and self-harm and thoughts of suicide. Just the fatigue, the, the sleepless nights, the can't go back to sleep in the middle of the nights, the the fear, the never-ending fatigue, the erosion of hope, the every tiny step forward feeling like it's followed by a giant shove, stumble step, two steps backwards, never feeling like you're gaining ground because the thoughts, they become whispers and the whispers, they become shouts and that the more you try to block them out, that as you cover your ears, it only gets louder because the noise that comes from the inside. And so as we recognized earlier in this world, according to Jesus, in this broken and fallen world where the evil one, where the devil prowls around literally like a, like a roaring lion looking to who's gonna steal and kill and destroy, that in this world where we have troubles, we recognize that for some, those troubles are really, really, really hard and really, really, really scary for some of you right now. But I encourage you, take heart, for he has overcome the world And he is there. He is providing a way. He is providing a way for you to stand up under it, to endure it. That in this world, in this life, in your world, in your life, that yes, even in the midst of these troubles, he is with you and he is working in you, even if you can't see it right now. That he works with you, that he works with others, that he works through you. And like in the words that he gives Uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis, who uh, upon being seen through his own, you know, dark valley, his valley of the shadow of death, God saw him through it and he was able to proclaim that what was intended to harm me, that God took it. He repurposed it for good, for for the accomplishing of what is now being done in his setting. It was for the saving of many other lives. Rick Warren Uh, pastor and author of uh, the well-known book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, who lost his son Matthew to suicide. He reminds us how often that when people are hurting this bad, that people don't want their life to end. They just want the pain to end. But with that, to be reminded that in every emotion, that every emotion, it has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so to not make a permanent decision in the middle of what is a temporary emotion. And so you may be in the middle of it right 
now. And even as I say that in the middle and call that temporary, that might feel like a slap in the face because it has been going on so long and it feels so permanent and it feels like there is not going to be an end to this middle. There is gonna be no end to this pain. But I implore you that as permanent as it may feel, I promise you it is temporary. And this is true across all weeds in all of our gardens and all settings, but of course, particularly this one, when the emotions are high, do not make a decision in the midst of a middle of an emotion. Do not make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. And take heart, know that every day that you've already went to bed and woken up the next day is one day closer to that emotion's end. And so hold on, hold on to him, hold on one to another again, You might just need to text us directly here at the church. Just text the word life. Stay connected. Stay connected to one another as we together stay connected to those who have gone before us, that those who have experienced what is common to mankind, that we are not alone, the fellow sojourners of the scriptures. As we look at people like the prophet Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet for his struggle with depression. We think of Job and Jonah and Elijah and David, who had honestly, remarkable success by any standard in this world, and yet at the same time, they cried out to God in their pain that their desire to have either not been born or to have God take their life, but in the midst of that, as they cried out, why God and how long, oh God, even David and later Jesus himself, why God have you forsaken me? They held on to Jesus. They held on to God. They held out in trust. They held out, they even held out in praise. They even held out in thanksgiving, giving thanks for what they could find even in the midst for what God was doing in the middle. And so when you don't have the words, know that the word of God gives us the words. He gives us voice. It says that the Holy Spirit intercedes where words cannot go with a voice from the middle. And so we see this really take place in a really specific and powerful way actually in the book of Acts in chapter 16. So if you still got that. (coughs) What we're gonna read about here is a setting where the apostle Paul and Silas, uh, they were uh, sharing actually the hope and the help of Jesus in the ancient city of Philippi. Uh, and in Acts chapter 16 there, that, that city, uh, it, it, there, that ancient city, we see it was a place where many made their business dealings, uh, really you could say dealing in darkness, and they were not big fans of Paul and Silas bringing the light of Jesus to their town, and so they were arrested, they were dragged in front of the magistrates, uh, they were misrepresented, they were stripped and beaten, and, and after they were severely flogged, they were thrown into the inner cells of a jail where their, their hands and their feet were stretched out and fastened in stocks where they could not escape. And so really, in a pretty weedy situation, full of weeds, nevertheless, Paul and Silas, they cling to God. They, they pray, they sing songs to him, giving thanks for what he's doing, even in the midst of a terrible situation, proclaiming that even in the midst of weeds, they know they have a good gardener. And it was at that moment, it says around midnight, that there was a great earthquake that, that, shook, that shook the, the ground and the prison doors, as a result, they flew open and the chains were broken loose. And pick up what happens in verse 27 of Acts chapter 16. It says that the jailer, he woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. 
But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And so the jailer, he called for the lights. He rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of that night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he and all of his household was baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Listen, if you don't believe that our God is in the business of taking people who are on the doorstep of wanting to die through the doorway of redeeming that precise moment both for their life and the saving of many other, other lives. Like, like, don't miss what God does in this jailer's life. That Because in this story, we realize that God took a man, he took a suicidal man who was on the brink of suicide and he turned him into a spiritual leader in his home. He took a man who was about to end his life and gave him the gift of eternal life. And that man and his family, they would become the co-founders of a church in that city of Philippi where years later that same Paul, the same Apostle Paul would write a letter to that church that now is called the book of Philippians that's in our New Testament, in our Bible that has been used for thousands of years to be an encouragement to the church and to Christians and to those struggling worldwide who have found in the book of Philippians strength in weakness, hope in hard times, light in darkness. For it is in this book of Philippians, Paul writes these words. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Because the peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because Paul, he knew, if you know his life, you know his story, he knew what it was to go through some stuff. And he proclaims that by the grace of God, I have learned what it is to be content, whatever the circumstance says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says this famous verse in this context, I can do all things. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. That's the context of this verse. It really, you could be just said, I am able through Christ who gives me strength in all of these things because quote, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glorious, his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we all have weeds. We all have weeds in our garden, but our God is a good gardener. And if we have a good gardener, we're not done because God's not done. Because, quote again, he who began a good work in you, he will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever, amen. 
and amen. And so in these moments, as we respond, may we do so by just, I would encourage you just to listen and take in the words of this song as a reminder of the promises of who our God is and who he is to each and every one of us.